This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from the Book of Acts sermon series. In this series, we're diving deeper into how God has invited us into His mission, how the Holy Spirit was present at the beginning of the church and is active now, and how the local church is God's primary method to change the world. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. It's great to see you today. If you're joining us online, we're so grateful. For those of you in the room, I wanna congratulate you. You are at church on 4th of July weekend. It either means you really love Jesus or just couldn't afford the gas to go out of town. <laughs> Got some gas in Truckee a day or two ago, $7.69. Most expensive gas of my life. I took out a home equity loan to pay for it. <laughs> um, hey, we're in this series. In the book of Acts, we're beginning by looking at a handful of the key characters in the book of Acts. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Peter, who is the most prominent character in the first portion of the book of Acts. Last week, we looked at a picture of the Apostle Paul, Saul becoming Paul, his conversion story, the last half of the book of Acts dominated by the Apostle Paul. Uh, today, I want to talk about someone that maybe you've never thought much about um, if you're a sports fan, you'll connect to this. I, I really believe that, that most championship teams, they've got their star players, but they've also got these unsung heroes, the ones that don't get as much publicity. The, the Warriors just won the NBA championship. Any Warriors fans? Seven of you. All right. And so, uh, you know, and all the Warriors, you know, obviously Steph Curry is, is the most talented Warrior. You got Clay Thompson as, as well. You got the Splash Brothers. But, but most NBA experts would tell you that that thing doesn't work the same way without Draymond Green. He's really this unsung hero. Without Draymond, everything looks a little bit different. For my Dallas Cowboys, you got to go back like 30 years from when they were last good. And on those 90s Cowboys teams that made my childhood so great, um, you know, you've got, you've got Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, and Michael Irvin. And, and those guys got so much of the publicity, but, but, but football experts would tell you it was really the offensive line that made that thing work. Without those guys, in fact, some people have said that with that offensive line, I could become the NFL's leading rushing champion. Uh, it's, I thought that was good jokes, but whatever. And so... Uh, but these unsung heroes, not the star players. And today I wanna to talk to you about an unsung hero from the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, go over to Acts chapter four. <laughs> Acts four and verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of Encouragement. The only time we'll see this guy called Joseph is right here when he's introduced. The rest of the time, as we see him in the book of Acts, just a handful of times we see him referenced, but, but this, uh, the rest of the time he's called Barnabas, this nickname, which means son of encouragement. We see here he was a Levite from Cyprus. So he was a Jew, but that, he was a Hellenized Jew. He was, he was a Jew who wasn't originally born in Israel, at some point migrated back to Israel, likely thought of as one of the earliest converts to Christianity. He ends up as a pastor in a really thriving church in Antioch. He ends up going on missionary journeys with the Apostle 
Paul, and, but we don't know a ton of the rest of Barnabas' story. We have, we have tradition, we have speculation. Some, some scholars uh, speculate that maybe Barnabas was actually the author of the book of Hebrews. We don't know that for sure. One early tradition uh, recorded by Clement of Alexandria says that, uh, speculates that, that Barnabas was actually one of Jesus's disciples, one of those first 70 that were sent out to evangelize. Another tradition says that he preached in Alexandria and Rome after leaving Paul and that speculate that he founded the church in Cyprus and then was finally stoned and burned to death in AD 61 in Syria. These are things that, that, that church tradition tells us. But we, the, the scriptures itself, we don't know a ton of the rest of the story for Barnabas. But what we do see here is that the thing that so marked his life was encouragement to where it became his nickname. This, uh, the word Barnabas, son of encouragement, or it could be son of consolation or son of comfort. This word rendered encouragement, paraclesis, means encouragement, consolation, comfort, or exhortation. It, it, it may, and so the apostles give him this nickname. He was so known for encouragement that it became his name. Have you ever thought about this? If there was one trait one character trait that would so define you that it would become your name, what would you want it to be? I think that's a question that, that probably we've never thought about, but probably is worth thinking about a little bit. If there was gonna be one trait that I could be known for, that it became my name, what would I want it to be? And I would encourage you to think about that. If something comes to mind, maybe ask God to so produce that trait in your life that when people think of you, that, 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 there's people at Life Church that when their name comes up, this the word faithful just comes to mind. Or, or if I was in a business of giving people nicknames, I could just say, that is the daughter of faithfulness right there. There's people at Life Church that when their name comes up, I just think generous. There's people at Life Church when their name comes up, I just think evangelist. They just love to share their faith and that so much that it could become their nickname. For Barnabas, he was such an encourager that it became his name. And, and, and now as we um, talk about the book of Acts, so we, we shared with you how one of the primary themes in the book of Acts is the person of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to begin a series about the Holy Spirit rooted in the book of Acts. But, but you know, we talked about how this really be, could be called the acts of the Holy Spirit. And, and what's so fascinating is this word that they describe to Barnabas is, is, is connected to the same word that Jesus ascribed to the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14 and verse 16, Jesus is preparing the disciples that he's going to die. Ultimately, he's going to go and, and uh, he's going to die in her place. He's going to ascend to the Father. He's telling them, though, that it's actually to their benefit. John 14, 16. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor, this parakletos, which means encourager, counselor, helper, comforter. It's the same word that's used to speak of Barnabas. He says, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You'll know him, he lives with you, and will be in you. And so here's what we see about this guy Barnabas. 
That, that he was living a life so filled with the Holy Spirit that when people described him, they used the same word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. This counselor, comforter, helper, encourager. Barnabas, son of encouragement. And I, I wanna share with you today how Barnabas, even though he's now with the Lord, he is his life of encouragement is actually encouraging to us. I want to share with you a few quick things. First, Barnabas encourages to live lives of sacrificial generosity. Let me show this to you. Acts 4:33. See the snapshot of the early church. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. The church is at its best when it's living with radical generosity, meeting the needs, serving and helping those in need. It says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. Now, uh, many of us, it's not, it's not that big a thing. You, you sell your primary residence, you sell an investment property, you, you sell a, a rental that you might have, you sell a second home. We buy and sell properties all the time. This was a much bigger, more significant thing in the ancient world. And that the vast majority of time when people owned land, it was land that had been in the family for generations. And so these people selling lands, this was a significant move. And so for those who owned land or houses, most didn't. Most of the early Christians were poor. For those who owned land or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. Aren't you guys glad that we like give in the box or online as opposed to just having our staff stand here and you like put the money at our feet? I feel like that would be awkward for all of us, like super awkward. And anyone feel like we should make that shift? All right. And so... But that's how it was going down. So they're just going down, putting the money at the feet. And, and so, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So what we see here is Barnabas is still encouraging us. He's encouraging us to live lives of sacrificial generosity. Here's my experience. My experience most of the time is that encouraging people also tend to be generous people. And critical people also tend to be stingy people. Because encouraging people are living to bless and help and bring out the best in others. And critical people are not in that business. So what we see here, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he's living this life of sacrificial generosity, encourages us to do the same. Here's the next thing he was doing. Barnabas encourages us to courageously see people through God's lens. We saw last week this how, how Saul, who was, when we're introduced to Saul, he's in the business of killing Christians. He's the, he's the ringleader behind the, the death of the first martyr, Stephen. He's going around killing and arresting and beating Christians. But then he has this conversion moment, right? So imagine this. Imagine that there's somebody in Reno who's famous for wanting to kill all the Christians. And then they show up at Life Church, and then we're all like, oh, I think they're here to kill us. And he's like, no, don't worry. I gave my life to Christ yesterday. And then you're like, hey, you're, I'm glad you're here. 
I'm going to hug you and frisk you simultaneously. <laughs> that's how we're going to do this. Because, so that's what happens here. Paul's killing Christians, becomes a Christian, starts to hang out with the Christians, and they're like, I bet his strategy is while we're praying, he's going to kill us all. So everyone's praying with their eyes open, looking around. And, and so that's where we catch up to the story. Acts 9.26. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. See, what we see is that Barnabas courageously saw Saul, who became Paul, through God's lens. He took a chance on him. He vouched for him. And you have to ask, we all have to ask ourselves, through what lens do I look at people? And see, everyone else saw Saul, but Barnabas saw Paul. Everyone else saw a murderer. Barnabas saw a missionary. Everybody else feared what might happen to them if they got close to Paul. I wonder if Barnabas may have feared what would happen to Paul if he did not. Barnabas took a chance. Others played it safe. So you have to ask yourself the question, how are you going to look at people? Are you going to focus on people's past or their potential? Are you going to focus on the mess that they have made? Or are you going to focus on the masterpiece that God is wanting to create in them? See, the, the, how do you look at people? Do you, do you look at them through the lens of, of, of opportunity, the lens of potential, the lens of, I wonder what God might want to do in this person's life over the next 12 months, 36 months, five years, 10 years? What might God be up to in them, the possibilities. And this is a really big deal in every single relationship you have. It's a really big deal in the way in which you look at your spouse. You could very easily look at your spouse through the lens of every mistake they've ever made and that become your expectation for their future. I've got to tell you, probably the greatest encourager in my life has been Claire. And that's that she has helped help bring out some of God's best in me just because I know that she believes in me. And I'm 100% confident that many of the things I've been able to be a part of doing, they wouldn't have happened without Claire encouraging and believing in me. So how do you look at your spouse? Do you look at them through the lens of any mistakes they've made? Or do you look at them through the lens of this masterpiece that God wants to create in them? How do you look at your kids? How do you look at your friends? Barnabas looked at people through God's lens. Here's the next thing. Barnabas encourages us to disciple, mentor, and bring out the best in others. Let me show you, to, show you Acts eleven twenty two. 22. It says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Then we see some descriptions of Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. 
Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That phrase, look for, it gives this idea that it wasn't an easy find, that he had to search with some effort. He searched and he searched and he finally found Saul in his hometown of Tarsus. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Look here. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, remember that, met with the church and taught great numbers. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So, so Barnabas ends up in Antioch. God's really blessing the work there. And what Barnabas realizes is he realizes, I need a wingman. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to find Saul. If, even if it takes me some time and some effort, it's worth it. I'm going to go and find him. And then he's going to come and be my wingman. You say, well, how do you know that Saul was his wingman? It's, it matters when you read these things of, of the order at which names are, are given to us. And so when it says Barnabas and Saul, it's giving us this message that, that, that Barnabas is the leader and, and, and that Paul is the protege. Barnabas is the mentor. And so he brings Saul. Saul becomes Barnabas's wingman and God really blesses. And, and, and what's happening is this is all a part of, of Saul's growth and development. Look here, Acts chapter 13, verse one, it says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, and Saul. Again, this, this order tells us Barnabas was the lead dog. At this moment here, Saul is, is still a, a, a protege. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So we see Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas, and then Saul's at the end of the list. And then again, Barnabas and Saul, and then skip ahead, verse 42. There's a shift that happens that we see for the rest of the book of Acts. It says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews, devout converts, followed Paul and Barnabas. See, what we see is this thing where Barnabas was in the game of bringing out the best in people. Barnabas was, the, was in the game of going saying, hey, you, come and be a part of what God's doing with me and, and be my wingman and I'll teach you and you'll grow and develop to the point where it starts off where, where Paul is Barnabas's wingman, but it's afterwards it ends up, and for the rest of the ministry, it ends up where Barnabas is Paul's Wingman, he's in the game of mentoring and discipling and bringing out the best in people, even if it means, like John the Baptist said, that they must increase while he must decrease, even if it means they get more publicity, even if it means that they end up more well-known. He says, I, I'm in the game as an encourager who comes alongside of mentoring, discipling, and bringing out the best. I wonder if there's someone in your life, maybe a handful of someone's, that the reason that you're in their life is you're supposed to play a part in bringing out the best in them. That, that you're supposed to be a part of, of seeing God's destiny, the good works which he has prepared in advance for them to do, for those things to, to come to pass by you being in their lives. You're there as an encourager. You're there to bring out the best. Barnabas continues to encourage us. He encourages us to lavish grace and second chances. Verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let us go back and visit the believers and all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, his cousin, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So on the previous missionary journey, somewhere along the way, it gets hard. Somewhere along the way, it gets difficult. John, Mark, Barnabas's cousin, some people have speculated maybe he was kind of a mama's boy. He missed mama's cooking and the bed back at home. And he said, guys, this is harder than I hoped. I'm out. And then it comes time and Paul and Barnabas are gonna go on another trip. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark. Let's give him another shot. And Paul says, I don't, I don't need no quitter mama's boy on this missionary trip. And Barnabas says, come on, let's take him. Let's give him another shot. Paul says no, and then Barnabas says, hey, well, you can go without John Mark, but if you go without John Mark, you're going without me. It says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. It says, so here's what we see, is that Barnabas encourages us to lavish grace and second chances. As Barnabas was living this life full of faith as a good man, filled with the Holy Spirit, the character of the Holy Spirit is, is so being manifest in his life that he's just lavishing grace and second chances. He's taking, just like Barnabas took a chance on Saul when nobody else would. Barnabas took a chance on John Mark when, when Paul didn't want to. Can you think of a time in your life where, where, where maybe it wasn't a sure thing that everything was going to go great with you, but somebody took a chance. Somebody took a chance on you or maybe gave you a second chance like we see Barnabas here with John Mark. See, what Barnabas understood is that he'd received so much grace from the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the 176th chance that he, he's now just living out. He's lavishing grace and second chances. Here's the last thing and we're done. Barnabas encourages us to never underestimate the difference encouragement can make. Barnabas encourages us to never underestimate the difference encouragement can make. Where the, the word to encourage is seen a hundred times in the New Testament. It's this prominent theme we see here in Hebrews 10, 24. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. What the writer of Hebrews, maybe Barnabas, maybe not, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us to do is to spend some time thinking about what is the best way that I can encourage? What's the best way that I can bring out the best? He says, spur one another on to love and good deeds. He says, let us take some time and think about it. How can we do it? Not, ne not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Never underestimate the difference encouragement can make. See, what we see here is Paul is widely thought of as maybe the second most influential person in history or the second most influential person in Western civilization or the second most influential person in the history of Christianity only behind Jesus. He wrote a third of the New Testament. He, if you are not an ethnic Jew, 
He is our spiritual great, 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 great grandfather. He's, he's the person that first took the gospel to those that weren't ethnic Jews. He's thought of as maybe the second most influential person in history or the second most influential person in the history of Western civilization. Certainly, he ends up writing a third of the New Testament. John Mark goes on to write the gospel of Mark. Most scholars believe that when Matthew and Luke were writing their gospel, that, that they were meaningfully influenced by Mark's gospel. Most people believe that Mark's gospel was the first one of the synoptic, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to be written. And, and so when, when we look here at, at Paul and we look at John Mark, it's, it's easy to see those guys as like, as, as like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson or as Michael Irvin and Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman. But, but what, what I really believe is the case is that, that Barnabas is the unsung hero, that, that Barnabas is that offensive line that, that, that made everything else kind of come together without him. Uh, that, what, what happens if, if when Paul shows up and is saying, hey, guys, I'd like to be a part of the church, and, and then the church is like, no, I, we don't believe you're really even one of us. We think you're here to kill us, and so why don't you go pound sand and be nothing, have nothing to do with this? I, what happens if Barnabas isn't there to be the one to say, well, I'll take a risk. I, I'll go and reach out when nobody else wants to. I'll give him a shot and then I'll give him a chance to be my wingman and get some more experience and to learn some things. If, if, if that doesn't happen with Paul, if Barnabas doesn't do that, I, I don't know how Paul's story, if it looks the same. And when, and when that missionary journey's happening and, and, Paul, and Barnabas says, let's bring John Mark, and Paul says no, and, and Barnabas says, let's bring him, and Paul says no, and if Barnabas hadn't stood up for John Mark, had, had it been Barnabas's job to say, hey, man, Paul, you know, he's taking the lead now, and he sees no future in you, so why don't you just go home to mama, sleep in mama's house, and never, never continues on the mission. I don't know. I don't know what happens with, with John Mark. Does, does John Mark continue to serve kingdom usefulness where he goes on and then writes the gospel of Mark that then inspires Matthew and Luke? Does it go like that? I don't know how it goes, but what I do see is that encouragement. You can never overestimate the difference encouragement makes. See, Barnabas, who only gets mentioned a handful of times simply by living a life of encouragement, being so filled with the Holy Spirit that, that he so lived out the character of the Holy Spirit that they gave him the same nickname that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. And it, this life of encouragement absolutely changes history. And so here's what I think. I think for many of us, our greatest opportunity to make the biggest impact with our lives might be in the encouragement we give to others. That it might be the, the encouragement we give to those who then go on and do things. Maybe, maybe we never even know about the great ways in which God uses them. And maybe we don't even really know that it was our encouragement or our generosity or our investment or our coming alongside and saying, hey, nobody else believes in you, but I believe in you. And everybody else has given up on you, but I want you to know that I've not given up on you. And everybody else sees your past, but I see your potential. And I, and I want to be a part of God's plan in your life. And I'm willing to help develop you and mentor you. And, and we don't even know that it was our encouragement that made the difference. William Wilberforce. 
who's credited as, as playing the, the primary role in leading the British Parliament to abolish slavery. He had fought and campaigned for decades for the abolition of slavery in the British Empire and, and had come to a spot where he was tired and discouraged and just thought it was never, ever, ever gonna happen. He was at a moment where he was about to give up on his life's mission to see slavery abolished in the British Empire. His elderly friend, John Wesley, heard of his discouragement. He was on his deathbed and he asked for a pen and paper and he wrote these words. With trembling hand, Wesley wrote, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? He continues to write, oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. And then he gives this prophetic word. Till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. Virtually every historian would say that the British abolition of slavery most definitely paved the way for what would become the American Emancipation Proclamation. Wesley died six days after writing those words. But Wilberforce, Wilberforce fought for 45 more years. And in 1833, three days before his own death, saw slavery abolished in Britain. See, what we see from Barnabas is he encourages us to never over, uh, underestimate the difference that encouragement can Make Barnabas, who, who, who doesn't get all the same, doesn't have a book named after him. He's not thought of like Paul, doesn't have thousands of churches named after him like St. Paul's and St. Mark's. He doesn't have schools and hospitals named after him like St. Paul's and St. Mark's. But I would give, I would venture this belief. I believe his impact was every bit as significant, maybe greater than those two saints. Because without God using Barnabas in their life, maybe all of their life and legacy looks different. And most of us aren't gonna live lives that in decades or hundreds or thousands of years, people are going to know our name. We, we might have be more unsung role players like Barnabas, this son of encouragement who through living a life filled with the Holy Spirit encouraged others and changed history. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that by your grace, the work of your Spirit in our lives, that what was said of Barnabas, a good man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, to where he became known as an encourager who took a chance on people, who was courageous to, to take a chance and lavished grace and mentored and discipled and brought out the best in people. May that be true of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. 
Remember to subscribe to catch more of this series and hear more messages like this. You can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com.